0: Episode 37. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Deep Space Nine's sixth season episodes Statistical Probabilities, The Magnificent Ferengi, Waltz, and Who Mourns for Mourn. Let's do it! <laughs>
1: Statistical Probabilities Season six, Episode Nine, Production Number Five Thirty Three, Original Air Date November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety-seven. Teleplay by Renee Caveria, story by Pam Pietroforte, directed by Anson Williams, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Tim Ransom as Jack, Jenna Arnett as Dr. Karen Lowe's, Hillary Shepard Turner as Lauren, Michael Keenan as Patrick, Casey Biggs as Damar, and Faith C. Sally as Serena.
2: Bashir is asked to work with a group of genetically engineered people who were engineered just like him. Aggressive Jack, Sensual Lauren, Giddy Patrick, and Shy Serena are highly intelligent but equally dysfunctional and have spent their lives in an institution. It's hoped that Bashir can help them assimilate into normal society and why he is initially put off by their behavior Bashir is excited by the prospect of helping them succeed.
1: There wouldn't be more than two billion casualties.
2: That's a lot better than 900 billion. Wait a minute. It's one thing for us to try and avert a war, but it's quite another for us to take it on ourselves, to trigger an invasion that's going to get a lot of people killed. It's not our place to decide who
0: lives and who dies. We're not gods. Adam, why don't you start us on this one?
2: Um... You know, I, I it's weird, you know, when we watched the um, the episode where Bashir was outed, it was kind of yeah. like, it was kind of weird. I kind of felt it was late in the, the series to kind of bring up this new um, character trait that yeah. Bashir went through. But I, I got to say, I kind of like this episode. I kind of like where they went with it, with this. This was an interesting, interesting kind of way to go to have kind of a new, a new storyline because, you know, we talked about they, they, ended a couple storylines last season and um, this is good we'll see I believe what we see Serena again or at least most of them again in a, another yeah. episode yeah um, um, I liked it I wasn't like oh my god this is one of my favorite episodes but it's it's kind of a, it's a good episode um, I like the um, the craziness that um, that that much that kind of gets that god complex that they um, they mm-hmm. all have and it kind of rubbed off on Bashir um, and you can kind of see where Bashir could have went if, um, you know, you know, he didn't have the parents or make the choices that he did in his life. He could have easily ended up being in this um, institution, coming up with statistical provocations, you know, so.
0: <clears throat> yeah, no. Um, was the difference uh, between Bashir and these others uh, that he was raised better, like psychologically, um, or that the other people – because I wasn't too sure about this either or or that the others um physically you know w- when they were being uh genetically enhanced you know it wasn't perfect, and there were there were problems uh, in uh, other uh, i i
2: order. think there were mistakes yeah. i think there were mistakes made with them, but if you think about let's say you know if if they were caught as a young if you know let's say he got caught as a young age, he would probably would have been institutionalized you would think or definitely would have been starfleet
0: yeah and no, that the one thing I like about this episode. Kind of in the canon of Trek, uh, is that it establishes better this idea that one, there were there were other people doing what Bashir's parents did, but two, the average you know, the average person didn't benefit from it as much in their life as Bashir, right? You know that he is the exception.
1: Yeah. I think it's important yeah. that they establish that, mm-hmm. um, and also in the grand scheme that there's people. With something you know, mentally and emotionally wrong with them in general, which you don't see much in the Trek universe. It's kind yeah, of but interesting. The, was that
0: where the original series episode where they go to like a? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. mm, like a planet with some people that had uh, mental problems and 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 um, and the Doctor, uh, you know, Bones talked about how uh, archaic or, or primitive it was to just put those people away. Mm-hmm. You know, which is obviously mm-hmm. what happens you know it's better now you know now being like you know 2012 as opposed to the, the 1960s when the original series was being made um, but uh, we're certainly nowhere near that that image in a Star Trek television series uh where you know seemingly every uh, mental problem is fixable with some yeah, kind of yeah. magic you know technology a technological cure-all mm-hmm. um which makes it hard to, you know, have commentary uh that's relevant to our our society on that particular topic. So again, right. that's the kind of thing I think that this this episode did a nice job with. Yeah. Um the all, all these these four different characters, they they're they're really fun together, you know. I I was I remember being really glad when they brought them back. I don't know if it's later this season or if it's I think it's the next season. Um but where they focus on the the girl that doesn't talk much here or at all here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they were, they were a very nice um, kind of mix and it's nice to see Bashir have the relationship, this kind of mentor relationship with some people.
2: And I enjoyed the scene where they had dinner. I guess he was, I don't know whose quarters they were having dinner in. No, oh, near you know, the they're... beginning
0: when he was with the S yeah. nine crew.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't see that too often where they're kind of like just, in a circle just talking about related topics. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting scene.
0: <clears throat> well, Bashir has some interesting commentary in that scene where he talked about, um, well, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, and we've talked about that aspect of it. But, but when he talks about how it isn't fair that they are excluded from society just because their parents broke the law, um, yeah, that's a good point. And then, um, I think Worf says something it, at any rate, you know, the implication is that uh, that's where they should be. They should be excluded. And, and Bashir says, well, you know, shouldn't I then also be excluded? And he said, no, you're different. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, he says, well, I should be used to being the exception. But in truth, he's only the exception because they got to know him before they found out about this stuff. If, mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if the right, right people had found out about his genetically enhanced uh, state, uh, he never would have made it to the position he did in Starfleet. <laughs>
2: You know, I like to. You know, like some of the reasoning. You know, like genetically engineering was socially acceptable; it would make parents want to keep up. It's kind of like keeping up with the Joneses. They brought that in, and it's a good mm-hmm. point. Um, <laughs> we'll probably see in the next couple generations, if because if, if you think about it, in the next couple of generations, you know, it's probably going to be an issue that you know we're we're going to have to deal with in some.
0: Well, in a way, we're dealing with it now in different ways. And maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but I've been I've been watching. Uh, um, did you guys know Ken Burns baseball? He did like a couple of new episodes a couple of years ago. I didn't know this. Yeah, I kind yeah, of yeah, understood
1: he did uh, an extra innings of sort. Yeah, and, yeah.
0: So I've, I've been watching those, and um, you know, a lot of that stuff. You know, where he's catching up the the '90s and then the early 2000s. Era. yeah. He's talking a lot about the steroids, and and one point somebody made that I thought was very interesting was the reason that it was the reason that Major League Baseball dealt with it so poorly in, in not attacking the issue immediately and head on wasn't so much because, um, a few guys were doing this. It was because, um, without, without making it clear that, you know, without stopping these few guys or without addressing it, you were, you were making everybody else feel like in order just to keep up, they had to do it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of made me think a little bit about the, the. Genetic enhancements, uh, what you were just saying, Steve. Anyway, a bit of a stretch, but it's kind of similar. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, um. Well, you can kind of see that coming down the line, you know, because, you know, there are different, there are different things, ways to manipulate genetics today. And, you know, if you think about it, those things will probably be available to people with higher incomes, but probably not to the mass mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. And you see it right now, you I mean you can go out of you can go out of the United the United States and get um stem cell research done. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning went to Germany to get um stem cells injected into his neck. So he could do that cuz he has quite a bit of money to do it. So um mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how kind of how it plays. I mean, like I said, it'll be at least a generation or so before it becomes full blown, I think. <clears throat> um
0: Now, what did you guys think about this topic of um Okay, so the Jack Pack here they they all, they make this prediction uh, based on data that the uh, Federation has no hope of winning the war. Um, therefore, they should you know surrender now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better to sacrifice two billion instead of $900 billion, or whatever absurd figure they they gave them <laughs> the <laughs> casualty yeah. rate of this long war. Um, and of course, to that, Cisco says. If we're going to lose. We're going to go down fighting. You know, no. <laughs> right. um, uh, and I'm sure that we all felt that that was that was the right thing to say. But I'm just wondering and 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 feel and think. I'm just wondering. You know, what do you think of this idea of um, kind of basing your decisions on on pure data like that? And um, it's not really something we see done because it's because it's not really possible to make such accurate predictions.
2: Well, um, I don't know if any of you saw the, um, there was a big report. And when I, Iran was talking about closing the, um, what was it? The Strait there into the, in the Gulf. Yeah. And there was a report, you know, how the, the Pentagon, they do all these statistical analysis. And, you know, they talked about um, they do these war games. Basically they, they mm-hmm. war game it out in the computers. And so, I mean, it's, it's done quite regularly. I don't know how much it um, affects, you know, decisions that fourth, but it's um it's done quite regularly in our military and I'm sure other militaries around the world. Um I, 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 my my feeling is is like, you know, if you're in that situation it doesn't you're you're looking to win. You know, so if you come up with this t- statistical analysis that says you're not going to win, you got to go back to the drawing board and find a way to win. So it was kind of <laughs> hmm. I thought it was a little over the top with Cisco, you know, it was like, "Well, we're going to go down fighting." I mean, I think it would have just <laughs> been better like, "Look, you know, this is just statistical analysis. Nobody knows what's really going to happen. So go back to the drawing board and give me a plan that wins."
0: <laughs> the lawyer says we're going to get sued. What should we do? Fire the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure.
0: hmm. Steve, what do you think about all this Statistical analysis.
1: Um, I. Uh, yeah. I, well, I think kind of in line what what Adam just said. I think that the decision makers involved. You know, you basically the, the the choice is we try to win. There's no there's no option of. So basically, what the notion is, you are prioritizing a free federation over any federation. I mean, because that's if if the goal was just. Preserving lives, then maybe you know following these kinds of things, or, or, or you know these kind of things to say, okay, here's how many people die with or without. Then it makes sense, or whatever. Okay, we could just surrender. But I think the the notion is that um that's, that's not the priority. Just living is not the priority. Apparently, it's it's living an, under a, a free federation under its own control.
0: Mm. Hmm. Well, and of course, um, Bashir talks about. They could be wrong, because the individual uh, can have an effect on, you know, mm-hmm.
1: the mm-hmm.
0: masses, uh, is, which is what exactly happens at the end of this episode. Um. Um, what do you guys think this one's about?
2: Well, watching it, I was—I thought it was interesting with Bashir. You know, um, on a quick side note, it's funny. Bashir is kind of one of the the few guys who who really, really, really stands up to um, Cisco. I, I, it's mm-hmm. a string, you know. It's a pattern, you know. And it, its like a borderline, you know, <laughs> you know, disrespectful how much he stands up to Cisco. So I've always kind of felt he like he was um, Cisco's conscience in a way, well, but in this. Know-
0: I want to comment on that. I think that that's something that's important, actually, for the doctor to always feel just a just enough mm-hmm. separation from the command structure mm-hmm. because it could be necessary. There, mm-hmm. you know, the doctor is literally the only single person on the, on the station who could remove Cisco from his job. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not not easy to do, but he he could do it if he had a you know if he if he thought that that Cisco's you know mental capacity wasn't there or something. Um, and so I think if you're if you're too close. Maybe you can't be objective in that situation if it was called for. So I think that it has—it's always been important in Star Trek, and we've got plenty of examples, even in the original series, uh, where it's been important that the Doctor maintains some level of of separation. And maybe, yes, that 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 instinctive separation—that I'm sure, well, more than instinctive—is probably trained at the academy. You know, to, to keep that in mind, that might end up causing some some. Um, <sighs> Superiority, or something, uh, or or instinctive um, instinctively being antagonistic, or something, and then couple that with <laughs> with Bashir's um, genetically, his, enhanced. yeah, genetic superiority that he it has to have an effect on his brain, you know.
2: But yeah, well, that's what I was. I would agree, definitely agree with you. But in this situation, I, he. He let um, I think Bashir let his uh, you know the mental aspects his mental aspects of what has been done to him get to him. I think he did kind of cross the line in this episode. Uh, every other episode, I think you're exactly right. He's right in line with what he's supposed to be. I always kind of thought of him like I said, a conscience to Cisco in many different ways. But in this in this in this episode, we see where uh, basically Bashir is compromised by being with um, people that are like him. You know. Mm-hmm
0: now if um, if the jack pack if if Jack himself literally if Jack had not taken this to the logical you know conclusion and said, well, if they're not going to surrender, then let's give the data to the Dominion mm-hmm. you know, would Bashir have you know seen uh that he was compromised in that way as well, or I don't know I don't he know. had to go that far for him to pick up yeah on that? I think maybe
1: so,
2: yeah, at least in the in this in the forty five minutes they had for sure. <laughs>
1: As far as what it's about you were hitting're we're heading that way but uh, you know I maybe something like the um, for me something like the the the, um, the unpredictability of of the actions of an individual um, kind of like what the message was at the end or and or the um, Un, you know unexpected input from unexpected areas you know what, what an individual can contribute you know even if they may, may not appear they can contribute much to solving a problem or whatever you know sometimes it comes from unexpected sources you know
0: yeah that's that's one that I like there, there are definitely yep. several themes you could kind of pick in this episode but one that I like is is you know is the idea that we, we ostracize whole groups of people kind of at our own peril because mm-hmm. look at how much these you know they did help here. Um, and I was trying to think of, of, um, equivalents in our society. And, and, and one of the first things I thought of was, um, uh, were all the scientists, just the, the Jewish scientists that were <laughs> expelled from Germany, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, leading up to world war two that would have made, <laughs> would have helped them. <laughs> and so they yeah. helped, uh, they helped us and our allies. Um,
2: well, I mean, you can take that even further. The German scientists after the war—they were used on either side. You know, the United States and Russia took all those German scientists, and hmm. um, yeah, you, you know, you said something. I guess it's kind of unexpe- unexpected where you're going to find people to help you solve problems. Kind of keep an open mind about it.
0: Yeah, and everybody, everybody has um, the ability to contribute in some way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> good theme good theme good themes yes all right let's move on oh so i just want to say that i i didn't mention it but i like this episode (laughs) okay moving on six degrees for statistical probabilities um adam you want to go first or second i'll go first (laughs) <laughs> Michael Keenan plays the childlike Patrick, who gets upset that O'Brien doesn't want to wear a party hat. In Next Gen's seventh season, he played Governor Maturin in the episode Sub Rosa. He is explaining his love for Scotland as he and Picard step onto the bridge of the Enterprise. The ship's environmental controls are malfunctioning, and data stands in the middle of an unusual situation. To what am I referring?
2: Um. Snow?
1: No. Steve? Hmm. Um, I vaguely remember this, but um, yeah, it's not not coming to me. There
0: is a fog on the
1: bridge. <laughs>
0: hmm. Okay, <laughs> no, I guess
2: that. Scotland was your um. Yeah, I guess Scott.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Should data's standing it? like there's like a, I don't know, two feet of fog, and Data's standing in it. <laughs> uh, Steve. Keenan also played King Hrothgar in the Voyager first season episode Heroes and Demons. Hrothgar was the king in what hollow novel? Hmm. And also a real novel.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, Classic, I'm... classic. Yeah, I don't. Um trying to like Beowulf or something? That is correct. It was Beowulf. All right. Cool. Woo! Moving on. <laughs> The Magnificent Ferengi, Season 6, Episode 10, Production Number 534. Original air date, January 1st, 1998. Written by Iris Stephen Baer and Hans Beimler. Directed by Chip Chalmers. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, Max Gredanchik as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Cecily Adams as Ishka, Josh Pays as Gala, Christopher Shee as Keevan, Hamilton Camp as Leck, Chase Masterson as Lita, and Iggy Pop as Yelgren. Wow.
2: Ishka has been captured by the Dominion, and the Grand Nagus enlists Cork to rescue her, offering a substantial award if he succeeds. Cork persuades Rom to join the mission to save their mother, telling him that they must do the job to prove that Ferengi are worthy. The two then recruit Nog for his Starfleet expertise, while fellow Ferengi Lek, Gala, and Brunt form the rest of the team. Computer, freeze program. Reset Gemadar.
1: I think we're getting better. No, you're not. This is the eighth run-through, and you haven't been able to hit a single Dar.
0: And you shot Mugi! I saw we weren't going to rescue her, so I put her out of her misery. <laughs> uh,
1: this is a fun one, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Steve, kick us off. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was... Um... You know, it's it's absurd, obviously, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be comedy and uh, there's a lot of fun things. You see um, um, them kind of out of out of their element, but at the same time, the whole notion of them coming up with the notion, the idea of making a deal. And then but it turns around, they have to fight in addition to, you know, there's a whole there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And so it's just kind of a fun, just kind of a fun episode. I don't know that it has a a great deal to say, but um, but it's enjoyable to watch.
0: I like the way it starts off. It's it's yeah, a tiny, sure. tiny little thing, but I love, I love the bit with, uh, Cork, you know, trying to tell this rogue story, <laughs> how he how got, what, what was it, something to, some drink or something. Um, and, uh, you know, it was like, you know, there's nothing heroic about earning profit, <laughs> which <laughs> does sound like a real painful insult to a friend, <laughs> but, um. But you know that then that's then we find out about uh, Moogie's kidnapping and and it's just a good setup. It's a nice it's a nice mm-hmm. thing to remind us that the Ferengi are one way and they're in a situation that kind of requires something else. And then, of course, they very quickly um, after they assemble their crack team um, realize that they need to be going about this differently and negotiate. I, I love that <laughs> I love the scene on the holodeck when they're. They're trying to rescue, and <laughs> all, everything goes wrong at the very end of it. I think it's Leck shoots Moogie. <laughs> yeah, I laugh yeah, oh every time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you shot Moogie. <laughs> Put her out of her misery. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Mm.
0: But you know, once they realize what they really need to do is negotiate, then the story kicks off. Um, either you guys Iggy Pop fans? Were you
1: uh, not not particularly
2: no? Uh, no yeah, no. I mean I like Iggy, but not overly Yeah obsessed.
1: Well, of course Ira Bear uh
0: was a nutty Iggy pop fan, so he'd been trying to get him on the show for a long time and finally did. But yeah, I'm I'm with you guys, like you know, I respect them and all, but I'm not particularly uh them, <coughs> If I produce this show, does that mean Weird Al Yankovic would have played a Vorta? Uh,
2: maybe. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs>
0: Yeah. so it's it's just it's full of great pringy one liners uh-huh. we could we could spend our whole time just reading them off but I, just a couple that I think are worth saying my favorite is probably he must have escaped while I was sleeping
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's good. um I, say, I like that you shot movie um when uh I laugh out loud too when they're all like running to the ship because they think, uh, what's his name, Keevan is escaping. And uh-huh. holy, holy crap, Quark is a very fast runner, is he not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like way faster than everybody else. And then, of course, they turn around and they run right back. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, well, they the rent. You know, they got that Keevan in the cuffs and he's just being drugged by Quark all the way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love the moment when they use those uh, elements from former episodes, you know, the Vorta and, and then yeah. you know, Pognor, that was another fun thing. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to go there one more time. Yeah, I think so.
0: Which next season I'm looking for. I love that episode. Um, I, I love the moment when, uh, <laughs> when they, when they shoot Keevan. <laughs> and they kind yeah. of all, it's like a, a shot from the ground looking up and they're kind of all surrounded looking down at his dead body. And you're like, oh crap! That's <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think my favorite moment in the whole episode is right near the end when they're going to do the prisoner exchange, and uh, <laughs> and Kevin has been a they, they've put these neural um, stimulators mm-hmm. on him <laughs> so they can control him and make him walk, and he's and he's just starting to walk. It <laughs> and they're walking down this long corridor so that they, they'll they'll pass and exchange and. Uh, the Frankie will uh, reacquire Moogie, and just at the very beginning of that scene, you're just like, uh, "What's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Something is going to happen." Well course. Well, it's sure. pretty amusing there, then. You know that he's like, "Like, turn him off," and he's like, "I can't." <laughs> keeps bapping and hit, hitting the wall. And I think they just leave him there, smacking the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I did like that character, that Keevan. I mean, and this. I mean, he was ruthless in the last episode we saw him, but I I like some of his lines. I love when they first bring him on the ship and basically he's like, yeah, we're all going to die. I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) 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 It seems like, even though he knows he's going to die, he seems to be totally relaxed about it. He's like, "Yeah, I need a nap.
0: He's got a great voice and of course his eyes.
2: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. So great. He pops voice is really cool. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, I guess why not? We're doing a play-by-play. That's okay for this episode, I suppose. But
2: yeah, it's just a fun episode. Like um, you know, Stephen was saying, it's not really, you know, I, I mean, I think we're gonna have a hard time kind of figuring out what this is about. It's just kind of a fun, entertaining mm-hmm. episode with humorous well, moments. No, I, th-
0: I think that we got something from what it's about. But is there anything else I want to talk about before we get to that? Uh, the title of the episode, "The Magnificent Ferengi." Um, uh, you know, DS9 made a lot of references. They did a lot of stories that were references to existing movies and things. In this case, they use the title, but it really has no relation to The Magnificent Seven, which is good because I don't like
2: that movie. (laughs) (laughs) You like this Um, episode more.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And for our listeners, I don't like that movie because my favorite movie of all time is Seven Samurai, and I don't think that Magnificent Seven did a good job of remaking it. But anyway, Um, so it actually has nothing to do with uh, Magnificent Seven, even though the
2: title is there. Just sounded cool, I think, when they brought yeah,
0: it. Yeah, and it, it does sound cool. It's a cool, it's a cool title. Um, what it's about, which is okay, if we get to that so quickly because I, I guess we don't have a lot to say in here. Um, you know, well, I also say I, I like I like the sequences of them kind of assembling their team and and when um, Brent shows up and he kind of walks by everybody in in Quark's bar and names, you know, um, each person what they're like and, and whatever and um well i'll just leak i'll just be going and getting on my ship and leave um mm-hmm. i just i just like this setup of all these different of all the different ferengi i mean this is almost in this one episode we've got almost every named ferengi from deep space nine so it feels like for sure you know um zek is in here Well, he's mentioned uh, yeah, he is. Wallace Sean was not available, it was originally going to be Zach and not Moogie that got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, too, that looking back on our, our podcast, it seems like we have mentioned this episode a lot. There, so we remember it really well, I think. Because yeah. anytime we were doing another Ferengi episode, and there are plenty of Ferengi episodes, um, but we all often... Said, "Oh, what about that one episode? Even if we didn't remember what it was called, we were talking about this one, you know." Um, so it's 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 cool that that it had such an impact that uh, we've remembered it so well all these years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's just because it was kind of this culmination of well that's that's too much of a stretch (laughs) but i was gonna make a reference to you know the avengers film came out this weekend right very big hit but but there have been all these other like you know movies that had just this one character this one character you know this episode had brought all these characters together that Mm -hmm. had been that had had each one had had their own kind of episode or two before Mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's what made it That they were all brought together so successfully that that's what made it so memorable for us. What were you going to say, Caesar? Well,
2: I was going to say it's interesting to see um, the character evolution of Cork. You know, if you go back even just a couple of seasons, and I'm referring to the scene where they where they get um, (coughs) the Vorta to to do the prisoner exchange, where Kira was actually happy to help Cork. She was like, you know, um, you know, it wasn't oh, like yeah, yeah. begrudgingly, you know, like I said, you know, even just a couple of seasons ago it would have been like, oh, my God, we have to help Cork. So um, it's an interesting character evolution for from where we started with him and where he is now, where, you know, he, he had this problem, you know, in this episode where he didn't feel worthy, you know, but in reality, everybody around him. Feels like he's important, so it's more of this. well.
0: It's interesting you, you bring that up because I think that kind of starts to get to what it's about too. So why did Kira help him? Because of the you know the opening six episode arc during which we went Quark specifically. and You're talking about Quark's character development. So in just in that six episode arc, we saw Quark go from uh, this occupation isn't so bad. It's not <laughs> as bad as it was when you know the Cardassians were here years ago without the Dominion. He went from that to by the end of it you know, saying, we need the Federation back. Um, and I see, I understand now kind of the, the difference um, between this and real freedom and him going to the point of becoming a hero and going and s- rescuing Kira from the brick. Mm-hmm. Um, and this episode, and, and because he did that is why, you know, Kira helped get the Federation to offer up Kievan for this episode so that, Cork uh, could use Keevan to exchange for Moogie. Um, so, what this episode is about for me is kind of this is this question of you know how do you define a hero and um, you know okay, there's nothing heroic about earning you know, earning profit, but I don't think it was I don't think it, it's it, it's not like Cork needed to be a hero. You know, after this episode. He's Quark again,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but he needed mm-hmm. to know that he could be, you know, a yeah. hero. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What
1: do you guys got for what it's about? I agree with you. Yeah, I think that that sounds good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy.
0: So you you think it's a stretch to to talk about
1: that? Is that cheating?
0: No, uh, no. no,
2: no,
1: no. That's, yeah, I think I think it's you know you. Focusing on Quark, you know, and his kind of his development and what he <laughs> need needs to see in himself. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Okay. Anything else? I didn't know it was that easy to get in Cisco's office. I thought that was amusing.
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the one like music thing.
0: reminds me reminds me of a Bugs Bunny joke. Wrong, <laughs> <laughs> wrong Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was following <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, it, that that was nice actually because it, it opens the episode and, and it just tells us okay this is going to be a silly fun Ferengi episode mm-hmm. yeah. but there's a lot of like laugh out loud stuff in this episode mm-hmm. yeah mm. all right so we all like this one right mm-hmm. yes yes and the standards of our show if we had a hard time saying what it's about it shouldn't hold up but we all agree it does hold up so it must really be about something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think okay. you kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, I wasn't really... I didn't put a... To be honest, I didn't put a whole lot of effort into trying to figure out what this one was about because it was so much fun. It's just... It's entertaining. Maybe that's just me coming off my Avengers high. But, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I think we sometimes... We, we, that's okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we've encountered that before. You know, sometimes yeah. we we have episodes like that where it's hard to nail down the moral of the story or whatever. But usually those episodes aren't just... It's not just because they're fun and entertaining is why they're also good. There's there's like there's character development and character interaction that's you and know satisfying and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for the magnificent Ferengi. Steve, you have one and Adam, you have none. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Alright, uh, Steve, you can go first this time. Okay. Christopher Shea returns as Keevan, the Vorta that Cork intends to trade for his Moogie. In Enterprise's second season, he played Telev, a member of an alien species negotiating with the Vulcans for the planet Pan Mokar, when Archer and Crew are enlisted to help. What species is Telev? Hmm. What species is negoc- what species are negotiating with the Vulcans? about this planet.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, um, gosh. Uh, was he Andorian?
0: You're correct. He was Andorian.
1: All right.
2: Two
0: Good nil. Guess. Come on, Adam. Hamilton Camp returns as Leck, the Ferengi, with serious knife-throwing skills. We last saw Leck when he was getting advice from the Grand Nagus in the Season 5 episode where Quark finds out his mother is having an affair with Grand Nagus sec Name the episode.
2: I should know this since I do the episode synopsis um <laughs> that's the one where Cork has to go back to Ferengi Ferenginar Ferenginar yep. um that's the one he's all depressed I
0: wouldn't ask if it didn't have a fun funny title
2: um I'm gonna have to pass Steve no
1: <sighs> I'm uh, racking my brain um it wasn't all that long ago, but it's just not coming to me. I'm not sure. Ferengi love songs. <laughs> oh, yes. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Waltz, season six, episode eleven, production number five thirty-five. Original air date, January eighth, nineteen ninety-eight. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by Rene Abergenois, music composed by Paul Belergin. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Mark Lemo as Ducat, and Casey Biggs as Demar.
2: En route to Guldecott's war crimes investigation, Cisco meets with the former Cardassian leader, now a mentally ill prisoner. Suddenly the starship transport transporting them, is attacked by Cardassian ships. Sisko is seriously injured, but Dukat escapes with him to a nearby planet and tends to his wounds. When Sisko regains consciousness, Dukat informs them that they are stranded and must wait for either either Starfleet or the Dominion to rescue them. You
1: should have killed them all. Hmm?
2: Yes! Yes! That's
1: right, isn't it? I knew it! I've always known it! I should have killed every last one of them. I should have turned their planet into a graveyard the likes of which the galaxy had never seen!
0: I, um... I've always remembered this episode very well. I think there's just something about these almost, like, uh, theatrical, like, stage pieces, you know, where it's just one character to one character or a couple Mm -hmm. of characters Mm -hmm. in a room, that kind of thing. Um... This episode almost has no B story. Uh, the only sort of B would be, you know, the Defiant searching for them. Um, I think we've talked about that before, too. But um, I would have loved to have seen them do this episode without even that, actually. Um, mm-hmm because <clears throat> you know in a way it takes some of the tension out whenever we cut back I know it's supposed to be tension filled that the Defiant is searching for them but we've kind of seen that you know Defiant whatever ship searching for the lost crew member uh, as time runs out even mm. the original series did that yeah, yeah. right uh, Galileo yeah. 7 I think was the one Um it's a little bit different in that Worf says he's going to actually leave at the when the time hits. But mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, that that's all fine and good. But you know the meat here it, it practically has no B, and it's just Ducat and Cisco. Um, we had, I think, it was the last season we had, or yeah, early fifth season we had um, Ascent, the the one with uh, Odo mm-hmm. and um, Quark. You know, and and there's just this sense of you know, years between these two and now they have it out. You know, now this is what we've been leading up to for years. Um, so for Dukat, we've always had, we've, we've also talked about kind of shades of gray between Dukat, um, Kai, Kai Nguyen, um Demar, these villains that are, that have kind of shades of gray. And in this episode, There, there's this real sense that just unequivocally, we want to say, there's there is no shade of gray about Ducat. Ducat, I mean, Cisco even uses the term "shades of gray" at the end when he's talking, when he's saying, when he when he's saying what Ducat isn't, you know. Mm -hmm. So Ducat is not a shade of gray. Ducat is evil. He is evil, Um, and 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 it all comes to that beautiful scene well I should say beautifully rendered scene um where you know Cisco gets Dukat to just come out and say, I hate the Bourgeois, I should have killed every last one of them you know, and there's it it's not it doesn't feel like you know if it had felt like it just came out of that scene if it if it had felt like you know Cisco worked him up to saying that or something you know if if it felt like it just stood inside this episode, then that wouldn't have worked so well. Mm -hmm. But what it does, what it really feels like, what makes it so good to me, that scene in particular, is that it feels like that's that, there he is, you know, there's the Ducat that has been here for six years on this show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Always telling us other things, lying, not so much to others, but himself, not wanting to admit this is really what he thought and really how he felt, Mm -hmm. you know, always thinking that he was not, Evil, um, and better than this, or uh, you know that this wasn't who he really was. But now, when everything gets peeled away, you know, starting with the death of his daughter and his own mental lapse, and and ending and climaxing with this moment uh, where he admits to Cisco that he should have left the planet uh, bejor uh, a giant graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, we know. Once and for all, he is evil.
2: I get, I'm a little confused. What is this guy? I should have went back and watched it. This right, you know, when Cisco bops him on the head uh, <coughs> right after that scene, does he said, is that why you're evil? Is that or is that why you're not an evil man? I couldn't. Uh,
0: he says that's why you're not evil, I think. And he's kind of he's, you know, he's being facetious because. Mm-hmm. OK, you know, because Ducat has said, you know, I'm not evil, you know. And then he starts talking, and he gets mad. Yeah. He says, "I should have killed them all." And so he goes, "Yeah, that's why you're not evil because you said." <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, but one confusing thing to me was when Ducat leaves. Um, he leaves Cisco on the planet. Ducat con- apparently contacts the Defiant and tells them where they can find Cisco.
2: I think that's because Ducat wants to he wants it's kind of like you, you want your victim to, to suffer he wants to be on top when 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 he defeats Cisco. does that kind of make sense well That's now it's like
0: he, he's he's equating defeating Cisco to destroying Bajor destroying Bajor does two things one it's you know destroying these people that he does hate and he mm-hmm. wants to kill them all and two it's defeating Cisco because Cisco is their emissary and he should be protecting them yeah You know, but, well, you know, when, when, um, when they wake up in the cave near the beginning of the episode and uh, Cisco says, you could have left me behind. Why didn't you? And Dukat just says, I didn't want to,
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know, well, there's that need for Ducat to, to be, uh, to to be accepted. And I think that dies in this episode. We still see the kind of the old Ducat where he wants people to understand him and to like him and to Mm -hmm. accept him as part of the group, you know? And he, he, you see that throughout this episode where he's trying to be nice to Cisco. He brings him a, a cushion to lean against, you know, he makes his food. So he's, he's trying, he wants Cisco to accept him. And then, you know, by the end of this episode, he, that's all gone. That's all broken into a way, and now, and, and like you said, his total goal is just to, to you know, lay ruin to Bejor and to Cisco. And I think the reason why he left him there is because he wants Cisco to be alive to see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think there's also, um, you know, I think part of the reason. Uh, Ducat hates Bajoran. He he sees them as less, you know, a lesser life form or something, you know, and so he, 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 there's, they're bugs to him. He wants to squish them or whatever. And, and the same, and, and kind of on the other side of it, he kind of, there's a little bit of a kinship to, with Cisco, I think. I think he feels like, obviously they're not buddies. He knows Cisco doesn't like him, but they're, they're people with in power or that have been in power. And so it's kind of like, a – this person's like me and they're on my level, you know, and I'm going to, you know, it's not like he's watching out for him, but he just wants, uh, he needs a compatriot of some sort, you know? Uh-huh. Mm. Well, yeah, he does say in this episode, um,
0: we, meaning meaning Cardassians, were the superior race and it was only the Bajoran's stubborn pride that they couldn't accept that. Um, uh-huh. But I, I think that he, when he says that, what he really means is... I was, was was superior, and and he's like, you know, you're talking about his need for love. Here, he's talking about uh, how when he uh, took over the occupation years earlier, um, that he was instituting all these reforms to make life better for the Bajorans. Yet they were still uh, killing Cardassians. Yet they were still performing terrorist acts. You know, and they, they didn't love him even though he was doing all these great things for them and he didn't understand that. And it must just be because they were stupid and, and Hmm. too prideful to accept that he could improve them, you know.
2: The man definitely has a large ego.
0: (laughs) Well, another thing about this episode, and, and I do, I do like this episode, um. Another thing about this episode is that up until, and you could make the argument that this really kind of happened a few episodes back, whenever his daughter Zia was killed, and and um, he was separated from the Cardassia. But really, on for the when you're watching Deep Space Nine, for the most part, up until now. Ducat kind of he he was Cardassia. He represented Cardassians, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like I am a representative of the my of the planet. No, I mean to us, yeah, Star yeah. Trek fans, mm-hmm. people watching Deep Space Nine. When we saw Dukat, he was Cardassia, you know. Certainly, the first few seasons, he represented. Cardassians and the whole species, and even the in you know the last season whenever he was kind of rogue for a little bit um, mm-hmm. on that the Klingon bird of prey, but even then there was still that that kind of sense of he was Cardassia. But anyway, now from this episode forward, that is not true anymore.
2: Who would you is, say would be?
0: Who's representing Cardassia? Well, now it's probably Damar. But it's it's going to it's it's going to get there. It's going to get to tomorrow. But not so much am I taking that away from my from him as I am saying that now he represents something entirely new. You know, so the, the ducat that is going to be on the show until the end of the show now, from from now until the end of season seven, okay. is a very different ducat. It's a ducat that's driven by something
2: revenge, much,
0: way more personal. Yeah, um, and not. He, he's not about Cardassia anymore. Yeah. You, know what, you know what I'm getting mm-hmm. at? Yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very different. He serves a different purpose on this show now.
2: Yeah, we said we didn't talk about it in the episode, but there, were, you know, they hinted at the change in Damar. In the the first episode, we talked about yeah,
0: statistical probabilities. When he gave that speech, and the um, Jack Pack was talking about, Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't want to be doing this, or that. You know, somebody's making him do this. Yeah,
2: he's he's sad for killing whoever he killed. You know, that kind of thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Um. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anybody else think about when? Knowing that Ron Moore wrote this episode whenever um uh Ducat would have those visions of Wayun or Damar or Kira. Was <laughs> anybody else thinking about um Baltazar and Six? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well now funny. I am that you bring it up. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, was my yeah.
0: that was my first thought.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was funny, um, Kira was more like her um mirror universe character in this episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, it was funny that you know. Of course, these are these are Dukat's you know imaginations, um, his hallucinations of these people. So they are like extreme versions of what he thinks of them to be. So so you know, uh, Wei Yun is is kind of laughing at him for being a wreck at the institution. um, Or but Damar is obviously great great respect for him. Um, and then Kira, we, you know, we know how she feels about him and them. <laughs>
2: what would you have done in Cisco's place, you know, if you you were in that situation? Oh. Somebody just like, because you, you realize that he gets it.
0: Talking to his hallucinations or something.
2: And, you know, every Brooks did a great job because he didn't have to say anything to for you to realize that uh, he's yeah. got it. Yeah, He understands what's going on here. You just saw it in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it was a great job on his part, but it's just like, I mean, how, what well, what do you do in a situation like that? Where somebody's you, you like... You get the sense crazy?
0: that he's at first, he's like, he's, he slips into self-preservation. Like, yeah. okay, Ducat's not just evil, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's crazy now and I'm in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. So I need to say and do what I need to say and do to stay alive. Yeah. So then he, you know, so it feels to me like he starts off gently and just says... You're right. Everything you did was to help the Breton people. But then, once Dukat gets going, then he just can't take it anymore, and mm-hmm. he's got to come back at him. You know, with <laughs> um, really antagonizing him. Um, and and it's it's you know Cisco is fascinated by this idea that that Ducat that it really matters to Ducat what Ducat thinks of him. You know, Cisco doesn't kind of get that
2: for a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think he just doesn't care. I mean I you know i think I think he knows that, but he just doesn't he doesn't care what Dukat thinks or feels or that kind of thing. It's kind of an it's an interesting contrast from the beginning of the episode where you see Cisco very sympathetic and <clears throat> you know um, you know about um Zial and what happened and that kind of thing, and he's like, oh, okay if I can get you anything and he's very almost very compassionate to uh, Dukat. Yeah. and then by the end of the episode, he's just like, you know what f you you know pretty much.
0: <laughs> Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. my first thought in that scene was at the beginning of the episode, whenever uh, Cisco comes to see Ducat in the the brig there. My thought was, man, you know, Federation prisons and brigs, they sure are sparse. Like, what do the prisoners do
2: yeah, when they're not yeah. being visited? Then they, anything. <laughs> <laughs> they meditate like what he was doing. All oh, right, right, they meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love. Go ahead. This
0: last thing I wanted to say was uh, I. We talked about this this exchange earlier, but uh, Ducat has a line when he's trying to say about what a, what a wonderful um, prefect is that the position when he was yeah. running Beja uh, the occupation. What a what how compassionate and awesome he was when he says at the, at the end of my first month, the death rate was reduced by twenty percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am so amazing because I was killing twenty percent less people
2: the guy. <laughs> <You> know <laughs> well, tells how delusional he is, yeah, really, well, it's great how you know he you know the character Duk- he has a great sense of charm, you know you can't, up to this point, I couldn't completely hate him because he he's <laughs> he's nasty and vile, but at the same in the, on the same note, and you see this in the episode, he's like charming and nice, you know, he's easy to talk to it's a it's a strange mix, um, I don't think you know you won't see that you don't get to see that Ducat ever again from here on out. He's pretty much my off going on forward, moving forward. Well,
0: maybe, maybe the version that <clears throat> it looks like a Bajor, Bajoran. Mm. Maybe he's a little bit charming.
2: <laughs> well, the, <laughs> those are fun episodes with Kai Wen telling him what to do and yelling at him and stuff. <laughs> so we'll get there, though.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is the kind of episode that I've obviously, like I said, that I like, you know, these just character pieces, um, Star Trek, when Star Trek is good, it does these so well, and they're so satisfying, and they're so important narratively, because you've got a, you got forty five minutes to do nothing but develop character, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and I love that it this episode has have a practical effect on Cisco and and Ducat's relationship. It has a practical effect on what and who Ducat is for the rest of the series. You know, we're never going to see him in the kind of positions. Um, in situations that we've seen him for the six years prior.
2: Yeah, hey, I, I remember you saying um, in that last um, what was that the episode where where they retook the station. You said you know you know you could have seen that um, we that could have been the end of Ducat's character. So um, I was wondering since you uh, made me think about it, I'm like, is there is there another way you think they could have gone? Well, in a way,
0: too? in a way, that was the end. That's what I'm kind of getting at too. In a way that that was the end of the Ducat that we've seen for six years, and this Ducat from here on out, it's it's a totally different Ducat. You know, we're going to see him leading. Well, it feels like Satanist or something. You know, that that the cult, cult, the Pyreth cult, whatever that was called. Uh, I think that's next season. We're going to see that. We're going to see the the pure evil of what he does in the the ten episode finale arc. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different um, Ducat. Yeah, so this is kind of his rebirth, this episode, into something new. Um, I, we, I think we've touched on a lot of it, but did you guys have anything else for what it's about?
2: I think kind of Cicero kind of summed it up there in the end, about <clears throat> Shades of Grey and that kind of thing. And I think kind of what this episode is about is Dukat is pure evil moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes like, there is pure evil. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes there's um, actions and and people, I suppose, that are that are just unredeemable. You know, you you know, there is a line that's crossed where it's just it's too much. You know, someone goes so far, you know, and they're they're done. They've he like Ducat's clearly evil. He's psychotic. He's done awful things, and he has awful ideas and. You just kind of have to accept sometimes that there's no turning around for, you know, people and so on. Hmm. Well
0: said. Moving on. Six Degrees for Waltz. Um, this one was tough, obviously. I had like two people and they've been in soundtrack cool. a lot. So, yeah. uh, Mark Lamo returns as Ducat, now Evil Incarnate. Um Adam. In yes. Benny's vision in Benny's vision of fifties New York in the upcoming episode Far Beyond the Stars, Lamo played Bert Ryan. What was Ryan's profession?
2: Um, he was a um detective, right?
0: Yes, police officer, that is correct. Uh is that two to one now? Mm-hmm. So, all right, Steve. At the end of Walt, Ducott tells Cisco they won't be seeing each other for a while. In what episode do they next meet? Hmm.
1: wow um, I honestly don't remember the interactions um, too much um, in the seventh season and so on uh, so I'm just going to say the last episode what you leave behind you are correct hmm. uh, was it a three to one <laughs> Morns for Morn, Season 6, Episode 12, Production Number 536. Original air date, February 4th, 1998. Written by Mark Ger- Jared O'Connell. Directed by Victor Lobel. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Gregory Itzen as Hane, Brad Greenquist as Crit, Bridget Ann White as Laurel, and
2: Cyril O'Reilly as Nosk. The crew is shocked to learn that Morn has been killed in an ion storm. True to form, Quark sees an opportunity for profit and throws a memorial party at his bar. Cisco interrupts with surprising news. Morn has left Quark his entire estate. Although Morn's financial records indicate that he was broke, Quark searches Morn's quarters for hidden assets. Instead he finds Morn's ex-wife, Laurel, who tells Quark about Morn's hidden retirement fund of a thousand bars of Latinum.
1: I guess that means
0: he wasn't a prince, after all. No. And you're not a security agent. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not really his ex-wife. Please, please don't tell me Morn didn't have any Latinum.
1: Oh, he had Latinum, all right. At least that part is true. Who
0: Morns for Morn? I think <laughs> that, that title is just the, gives, gives you the whole episode. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, on DS9, they'd wanted to do a kind of Morn episode for years. They've been pitched a lot of them. But it's, it was hard whenever, you know, Mourn doesn't speak. Yeah. He doesn't really speak. He <laughs> speaks in the fiction camera, of the show, yeah. but we, uh-huh. the joke is that yeah. we never hear it. Right. Um, but finally, somebody, uh, the writers here, came up with this way um, for it to kind of be a, a Mourn episode. And um, incidentally, when, and I love that line, whenever, uh, you know, Quark throws this, um, what do you call that? It's not awake. There's no body, whatever. The, the kind of party type thing. The kind of party type thing. Um, and, he's, <laughs> and he says, the greatest tribute we can pay him is to make sure his chair is never empty. <laughs> like the most perfect thing for, from Cork, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and incidentally, the guy that he grabs and puts in the chair, that's um, Mark Shepard, the guy that plays Morn. But I, I love that. I love that line. And that's like, perfect, perfect, perfect. Quark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Adam, what do you think of this one?
2: Um I, I like it. I liked it. I'm a bit, you know, I've always been a big fan of the Ferengi. I mean, this is kinda of, to me it's kind of a it's kind of a pseudo Ferengi episode. It's obviously a quark episode. So, Um it's kinda of got a little bit of it's got some humor. It's got it definitely has the cat and mouse aspect style to it, you know, where Quark searching, and it's you know, it's it's yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I remembered I remember liking it when it first came out, and it still holds up for me.
0: Um, <clears throat> what makes this episode kind of worth watching to me is the payoff of you know, we spend this whole episode kind of setting up all these different characters that apparently, um, Mourn owed something too. Uh and and we set up all these different characters and, and then we've got the scene where they kind of all come together in Cork's quarters you know like um the girl is hiding in the corner which by the way she's not very well hidden how the green guys this <laughs> here, I don't know but uh, <laughs> and then the green guys go and eye in the back and then Ethan's character the security guy there's not really a security guy comes in there um you keep craning your neck you know and then of course <laughs> they all come in and I like that scene. That scene is a lot of fun. It's a funny scene, and it works. Um, it's very good. Um, and then, of course, Quark. <laughs> there's people like pointing guns at him, but he doesn't. He's like, just please tell me he really did have platinum. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. You know, it's such a. This is kind of off topic, but, um, it's such like a petty thing, like. Even, even say, the pseudo-party where he's getting all these people to, you know, buy food that Morn can take to the afterlife or whatever, mm-hmm. buy him a drink, whatever. All this stuff, all this profit. This seems like just such, like, petty, tiny little amounts of profit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Doesn't it? Like, over the all these years, that's, that's what it is to be a Ferengi, you know, especially for Quirk, is... It's just this instinctive battle for every single little penny, and that at the end of six years, you got to look back and it just doesn't seem like it could be that much money.
2: Well, he gets a nice chunk of change here at the end of this episode. Gets him back on. Yeah. Well, you well you, you kind of find that Nor Cork's um, the impidity of um, nickel and diming. You know, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of profit it is. He's he's up for it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of his nature. It's kind of the Ferengi nature, so, you know. The, I think even if it is just little bits, it's I think it's just the way they're brought up or whatever. You know, they will will find a way to get something, some amount of money out of any situation. So they just that's what he does. You know, even if it's small.
2: Well, Go ahead. What well, do you think about the the magnificent Ferengi? I mean, you know, it took um, it took a, a reward to kind of get them really motivated for um. To, to go rescue their mother, and what was it later on in that and that, that episode? We I know we talked about it a lot earlier, but it was like um, he had to offer you know two strips of latinum so the so they so they would get back to the middle. oh run there
0: know. faster something yeah yeah and
2: he's like and uh, <laughs> so he's complaining he's like well you have to pay that pay your your troops to do that if you're Frankie. <laughs> so, but, the other thing, I,
0: and again slightly off topic, but the other thing that episode kind of made me think about is just how odd it is that that money and currency is so just based on whatever you apply value to, right? So, mm-hmm. like, in this episode, all the Latinum has been extracted from these bricks, and there's nothing here but worthless gold, you know, <laughs> to which Odo jokingly says, and it's all yours. Um, it's, you know, why does gold have this, this value to us in 2012 Earth, right? Or, mm-hmm. Why does latinum have... Of value to them. It's we. I don't think we established before this episode that it is in fact a liquid, and that gold pressed platinum is gold mm. that's been infused with platinum. So that was with this liquid platinum. So that was that was new. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know why why is platinum worth so much? Is it used for something other than current? I don't think it's so.
1: Conspiracy. It's just it's just rare, right? Yeah. It's so like gold, gold you can't now. Mm-hmm. you can't create
2: it. It's a better conductor of electricity than (laughs) gold.
1: Yeah, same reason gold is the way it is now, too. It's just it's scarcity, and so anything that's scarce can be used as a a currency, in a sense. It doesn't
0: seem like by this time in the future, they would get to the point where they could create anything, and it would almost make more sense for them to have, like our current system, where it's just value assigned to a, a piece of you know, constructed paper. I don't know.
1: It's yeah. Is off topic, I know, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I think it's because like, especially for a race like the Ferengi, there's gotta be something like that, mm. that they can refer to. And that's how they started this, you know? And so you basically just have to assume that this latinum liquid is just something that can't be replicated.
2: it's the only mm. conclusion you can come to. Yeah, and it, it kind of makes sense to have something that to trade. That's more, you know, like gold, you know, it's like the gold standard. You know, if you're going to be trading with a bunch of different people, they're not going to accept your national money. They'll be more um, acceptable of gold or in this case, latinum. So mm. it, in a way, it kind of makes sense economically.
0: Well, it was cool to see liquid latinum anyway. Mm-hmm. I
2: was confused. So those bars that he was breaking, so they were just like clay bar filled with gold dust? I was kind of confused.
1: They were, they were gold pressed latinum without the latinum.
2: So yeah for some for, reason
1: this it, always almost acts like a glue as well, apparently.
2: I don't know well no, I mean, because he was breaking the bars in half, I'm like, damn those are it's pretty weak gold I know gold's not gold. very
1: strong heavy, but you know I don't know, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true hmm.
0: um did this did this story feel um unique for the show, you know? Did you, like, why Why did they, make, you know, I guess it's a little bit of what it is, what is it about, but why, why did they make this episode, you know, could they have made this episode in the first season?
1: No. I don't know. You know, I, I like it fine, and there's it's got its moments, but it feels like something that could be done in on anything. You know what I mean? In a way, you know, <laughs> there's it, it, you could kind of do this kind of thing, and it probably has been done on you know, on any any number of settings on any number of shows. And also, it feels like a lot of it feels kind of slow paced for me. You know, so it's almost a little old fashioned or something. You yeah,
0: that's that's the thought that I had. You know, it's like what keeps excuse me, what keeps this episode going is just is quark, almost exclusively quark. And my love for quark and Shimmerman's performance is quark. You know, and on paper, there just isn't much to it. Mm -hmm.
2: There's no time for um (laughs) Umox. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I'm I'm still curious about the mud bath that he slept in. How do you exactly sleep in a mud bath?
0: Like apparently, what what is he Lecepian? No, he's not L Lorian. Yeah. You sleep
2: in mud. Apparently. Uh,
0: I like that the Lecepian Mother's Day heist was a Mother's Day heist, and they apparently have Mother's Day on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who thought of that one? Um, don't have a lot to say on this one, huh? No. I love that shot from inside the the. Delivery box that had the gold in it. Um, you know, and Quark's like, I'll count it. And then he starts stepping back and he, you see everyone raise their weapons. and
2: <laughs> It's like, yeah. just somebody else count it.
0: <laughs> uh, that's fun. Um, and then, the, you know, the denouement is fun. Uh, uh, Warren comes in there and Quark's, don't say it, not a word. <laughs> Something Ooh. to that effect. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, not a lot to say here. You think of this it would have been helped with a B story? It's really not. The only kind of B story is who who sits in Morn's chair.
0: I just think it's that, and I enjoy watching this episode. You know, and I like that they did finally have an excuse to use Morn. Yeah, to kind of establish a bit of a backstory for Morn and stuff. You know, I, I do like that, um, but I I just feel like you know, in this put it this way, when we watch an episode and I and I say. They could not have done this episode in the first season. It's a compliment. When I say that, it's because to do this episode, there there had to have been a certain amount of character development to get to this point for for there to be any drama in certain scenes. They needed these uh, years of experience um, and development. So in the same way that when I say it couldn't have been done early, it's a compliment. When I say it could have been done early, I don't mean it as a compliment. You know, it's kind of the opposite of a compliment. And I kind of would say that about this episode. I do enjoy watching it. And I really like uh, Gregory Itz, and, Um He's done a lot of Trek, but, and I, I really like him as a as a guest actor. Um, but I think that because this episode could have been done earlier, it's not what I come to expect out of a sixth, sixth season episode, mm-hmm. which is saying a lot about how great this season is whenever a solid episode like this is slightly disappointing, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah, but it's still good. And I still enjoy, you know, I, I enjoy watching it. Uh, I don't dislike this episode. <laughs> I'm not unfond of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything for what it's about?
1: Hmm. I'd be just stretching to make up something. If I said. You know? Yeah.
0: And that's, that's the kind of reason that, you know, when we say that, we say it doesn't hold up quite as well. Eh. You know, like Magnificent Ferengi, we said you know it's kind of hard to say what it's about. We talked about the heroes a bit, and and it's there is that, and that's there. It's very clear that that's there. You know, but for the most part, it's a fun romp. You know, but here is a, is the romp fun enough? Maybe not quite. I'm kind of talking myself out of liking this one. So, <laughs> so, so let's so let's move on before it gets worse. <laughs> Six degrees, four... Who mourns for mourn? What is our score? Three to one? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Adam. Gregory Itzen plays Hain, the royal security officer that is neither royal nor in security. In the fourth season Enterprise episode, In a Mirror Darkly Part 2, he played Admiral Black, newly minted captain of the ISS Avenger. Um, when the ship is attacked, Archer comes to his rescue using rescue using his technologically advanced starship from the future. Name the ship
1: um,
2: Enterprise
0: No
1: Steve I believe it was
0: defiant. It was the USS defiant you are correct uh, four to one All right Steve. Yep. Brad Greenquist plays Crit, one of Morn's old business partners who must be a big fan of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Why did I like that? He sounds like Jack Nicholson the way he talks. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Enterprise's second season, he played, oh boy, Katan Shar in the episode Dawn. Shar is the captain of an Arconian ship that is missing a member of his crew. When Archer's crew member is also missing, the two captains work together to find them. Which Enterprise crew member is trapped on a desolate planet with an Arconian? Oh boy.
1: Gosh. Um I'm just gonna guess one because I don't really remember. Was it um Reed?
0: No. Adam, here's your chance to not lose by so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we know it wasn't Mayweather because he was only one <laughs> only right. One right. That's, that's I'm gonna one. say Tucker. You are correct, it was Tucker. Okay. Alright. Alright, so what is that? Uh
0: four two. two, four, two. Mm-hmm. That's not so bad. That's not nearly yeah. as bad as five one. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate it. Um, I had a couple of responses about uh, when I asked for advice on uh, moving the podcast to another a new server at the end of next month. Thank you guys that wrote in about that. And also... Um, One of those people, Renee, you asked uh, what our plans are after DS9, and um, a couple of other other listeners have also asked, like Benji. We have discussed that. We do have some pretty solid plans, and we're going to be announcing that um, certainly before we finish Season 6 of DS9. All right. Uh, And we're excited to talk talk about it. But it's very good. Um, To our listeners... If you would leave us a review on iTunes, that would be the greatest thing. Um since I don't know. Uh, those creamers at 7 Eleven. I really like those.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah.
0: Um Yeah, so go see um go see Avengers and then they be rock. so excited and pull out your pull out your uh your phone and jump over to iTunes and just leave us a review. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Imagine we're the Avengers and then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> leave a review accordingly. Um, so you could do that and that'd be
0: awesome. You can follow us on Twitter at trekcompanion. companion. You can send us an e- uh, email. That's uh companion at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook is our Facebook page is face, facebook.com slash Trek companion. And we love you guys. And we are going to talk to you in two weeks when we get to discuss finally, finally, <laughs> beyond the stars can't wait uh, there's also a I think I think next time we're going to be discussing uh, that uh, now I can't remember the name of it but the name but the uh, the Worf Jadzia episode where they go on that mission I love that episode can't mm-hmm. wait um, so very excited about that we're hoping to have a guest uh, to discuss uh, Far Beyond the Stars with and um, thank you so much for listening we will be talking to you in two weeks take care guys see you bye